Thank you very much. Let's take God's word together and turn, first of all, to the New Testament book of Matthew chapter 7. I want to share a few thoughts with you, really some lessons that I learned on my most recent journeys. And um, whilst in, in New Zealand, I had the opportunity to climb the second highest peak in the Northern Ireland. It's twice as, t- as tall as Ben Nevis is. And I thought Ben Nevis was a challenge, but uh, this this mountain was called Mount Taranaki, and it's an old volcano. It's a dormant volcano. They tell me it's about time to about time it had another eruption. So I'm glad it didn't decide to do that whilst I was climbing it. But um, uh, a, a few observations that can be applied to the Christian life, and I believe the Lord's given us something here this evening. It's interesting to think that 200 years ago. 200 years ago, when missionaries first went to New Zealand, they were headhunters and cannibals. Think about that. In fact, they say the first missionaries that went to New Zealand never actually got to preach the gospel because they were killed and eaten. And then Samuel Marsden finally made headway and landed. And you think about that. That's almost a foreign concept to us today, isn't it? And now to walk on, on New Zealand soil, it looks like a cross between America and the United Kingdom, the Northern Ireland especially in its architecture and the way it's, the roads are set up. Southern Ireland is more, I've been told, more European in its style. But to imagine those people used to be headhunters, cannibals. And uh, the gospel has visited New Zealand. And in fact, many people are lamenting, like we hear here, that the days of the gospel movement and gospel fire and revival are gone in New Zealand. And uh, so there's... There's a great need there. Uh, some people don't think there is, just like many people here don't think there's a need for the gospel, but there is. Matthew chapter 7, two verses really, verse 13 and 14. Have you found it? Matthew 7, Jesus says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Let's pray together. Father, we've opened thy word and read very briefly some of the words of thy Son, our Savior. We know of all the words that have ever been uttered on the face of this planet, no words are quite as special as his. And we pray that as we look at these words today, that thy Spirit would guide us, that some truths would find a resting place in our heart to change us, to help us, to launch us forward for thy glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a tiny, in this passage, in this Sermon on the Mount, we have a tiny two-verse little metaphor of what salvation is like. And in this metaphor, we're also given a little glimpse about the Christian life. Now, most of us, when we look at Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, straight is the gate, uh, Narrow is the way, wide is the gate, broad is the way. Most of the time we really focus about salvation. Uh, But we have a little glimpse as well about the journey after you've entered in. Straight is the gate, that's your entry point. But narrow is the way refers to the walk, the life. And I want to talk a little bit tonight about that one thought. Narrow is the way. Most of us, if we knew what we were getting into... Before we got saved, most of us may have hesitated. We really didn't know that it was going to be this challenging. 
to be a Christian. Now, we also know that the benefits far outweigh the challenges. We know that. But let's be honest. For some of us, for some folks, life has become more difficult since coming to Christ. Some of the dear folks in this tent tonight have had their own family recently physically attack them simply because of their faith in Christ. Had their own family slander them because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so that little expression, narrow is the way, deals with our walk. But let's, before we get there, let's just quickly run through a couple of observations about the entrance. Enter ye in at the straight gate. By the way, that's a command. You need to enter in. Now, we meet people all the time from many different parts of the world who are, who are passively waiting for God to pick them up and put them in. But that's not what you find in the scriptures. God commands us, enter in. Some people say, but I, I can't. How can I? I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. But God commands you, enter in. Enter in. I was encouraged. I picked up a couple of books from a used bookshop in New Zealand, in Auckland, on the last day that we were there. And one of them was the, was the um, early missionary pioneer um, works of a, of a Wesleyan minister, a Methodist minister. And whilst reading it, um, the daughter was writing the foreword, and she said, Our, my father always challenges to make a clear, decisive, direct decision for Jesus. Always challenges early on. You determine you're going to follow Jesus. We find that here. Enter in. In fact, Luke says it in a different way. Luke 13, verse 24, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. So you strive to get in. Get in there. With all you're getting, get in. Some of you say, well, I, I want to be saved. I, I just don't know. Are you striving? Are you seeking the Lord with all of your heart? That's the first step. Picked up a, a, a book that was given to me by a family of the church that I was speaking at in the conference in New Zealand. And it was a little book by Spurgeon on faith. And Spurgeon in the opening chapter made this observation that the very one thing that an unbeliever ought to be concerned about is Jesus Christ. Getting to Jesus not so much even about the Father and the Spirit because it's only through Jesus that we get to the Father and the Spirit that all is understood later. But oftentimes somebody is fearful of coming to Christ because they're afraid of the judgment of God or, or they want to come to Christ but they are waiting for a feeling. That's the work of the Spirit. And so they completely forget that it's Jesus alone they should be concerned about right now at the beginning. Not waiting for the... Feelings that sometimes the Spirit of God may give us. And, and not being afraid of, a, of a ju the judgment of God, but instead, I want to get to Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So when Jesus says, enter into the gate, the straight gate, he's talking about himself. Remember, he said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. So if you yourself are struggling with this matter of salvation, Stop looking at anything and everything. Start looking at Jesus only. And if you enter in there, hear his command. By the way, this is a command. Well, I don't know. Is he talking to me? Yes, this is a command. Are you reading it? Enter ye. Hello. Ye. You. 
Enter in. Now, I like this. Enter in for many, Luke says, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Some people say, why are you so urgent and why are you so in, intense? A lady said to me in New Zealand, I've never met somebody with so much energy. And I said, well, that's what my mother used to tell me as well when I was growing up. But uh, why urgency? Why intensity? Why energy about it? Because you don't have time. And if you are flippant about it, look here, teenagers, I'm thinking of you for a moment. If you don't, if you don't get to the point where you think nothing else matters but this, then you'll never enter in. You'll never enter in. If you can take it or leave it, you'll always leave it. Urgency about it. Wide. Why, why so urgent? Because, listen, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. And this is why it's so urgent. That's why we're commanded to strive. The Greek word for strive, listen to this, is literally agonizomai. Agonize. Labor. To get in. On your knees, crying out, praying, seeking until you know that you've entered in by faith. Because alternative, the alternative path is an easy path. And it's an enticing path. So that's why Jesus says, get in through the straight gate now. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way. So the question tonight is, first of all, have you entered in? Are you on the right path? Narrow is the way. Let's talk about that this evening. The path that we're called to walk in this life is not an easy path. It's not. That's why Jesus says, few there be that find it. The truth is, most of us don't want the narrow way. We want it easy. We want it comfortable. But I remind you what Solomon tells us in Proverbs chapter 4. This wise man Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. And the only way to do that is by putting your foot on the straight and narrow path. It's a command. Isaiah 35, Isaiah the prophet calls it a highway of holiness. Jeremiah 6 calls it the old paths, the good way. And Jesus tells us how to walk this narrow way. Now, it's, it's challenging. I told you that we climbed a mountain. Well, some of us did uh, climb a mountain um, whilst in New Zealand. You know I'm going to have to do something like that if, I, if I'm on my travels and on my journeys. And um, we started to climb this mountain about 2.30 in the afternoon, Saturday afternoon after the conference was over. And there were loads of people just coming off of the mountain as we were just going on. And everyone, every single human being told us we were mad. You can't climb this mountain now. You're not going to the top, are you? One after another, even the people at the conference. Ooh, you're not going to be able to do that today, you know. Why don't you wait for another day? Now that, if you know me, that is really the wrong thing to say to me. Don't tell me I can't do it. And the more people said it, oh, I said, I'm going to get up that mountain. And so every, every five, every meter, people coming down and, and wearing their hiking gear, you know, with a big backpack and the socks pulled up to their knees and the big hiking boots. 
very annoying kind of a thing. Really geared out goggles and everything and sticks, you know. And here I am dressed something like this and everybody looking at me like I'm mad. And from the very beginning, you can't do it. No, no, no. Here's a little thought. Look here. How often have people who have already walked the narrow road been some of the most discouraging people to those who are just starting? Is that not the case? Some of the biggest discouragement comes from those who've already walked. You can't do it. You can't do it like that, certainly. Anyways, this path is not easy. Jesus tells us in Matthew 16, look at it with me in a couple of verses. Verse 24, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. How do we walk this narrow road? Well, Jesus tells us, first of all, you come after him, you come to him. Second of all, you deny yourself. You'll never walk that road unless you deny yourself. Nobody ever gets to the top of a mountain unless they deny themselves because self says, hold on a moment, this is about to be painful. Self says, why do you want to climb some silly mountain when you can sit at home on the sofa and watch the mountain on the television? Why would you want to climb up there? You can see all the photographs. People have already been up there. We'll take better pictures than you could ever take. So just enjoy yourself. The, the flesh wants comfort. And in order to walk the narrow road, we must deny ourselves. We must take up our cross. That's a symbol of death. It's a symbol of surrender and follow me. Somebody once said one of our problems, one of the biggest problems with Christianity today is that it's a crossless Christianity. There's no crosses. There's no challenge. There's no commitment. There's no death to self. Everybody has a Burger King style Christianity. Have it your way. I meet people all the time. I said, do you have a faith? Are you a believer? Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I worship God my way. They've been to Burger King. That's the way. They, their, their church is the church of the Burger King. Have it your way. And every Christian gets to do it their own way. Not so. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Now, a couple of observations. A couple of observations about my trek up Mount Taranaki and about our trek on the Christian walk, on the narrow way. First, first thing, first observation. Look here. We haven't arrived yet. We're still climbing. Although I may have climbed a mountain, you may have climbed, some of you enjoy that kind of thing. You may have, you may have tackled and conquered Ben Nevis and you may have tackled and conquered Penny Fan and you may have done Snowden and you may be the world's greatest mountaineer. You have not yet conquered life. We're still on this journey. There are more heights to climb. Somebody once said it like this, that the best is yet to come. The best song has never yet been sung. The best sermon has not yet been preached. Think about these kinds of things with me, please. The best life of faith has never yet been lived. You've heard the story of when D.L. Moody was a young man he was visiting England on the coast, southern coast near Brighton. Listen to a man called Henry Varley preaching. And uh, Mr. Varley said, the world has never seen what could be done through one person who was totally yielded to God. 
And D.L. Moody's heart stirred inside of him as he heard the preacher talking. And he prayed and he said, by God's grace, I'll be that man. D.L. Moody went on to be one of the greatest evangelists that the world has ever known. God used him to turn this country upside down with revival and America as well. He was mightily used of God and he could barely read and write. In fact, Oxford wouldn't even let him come and preach here because he was so uneducated. Cambridge laughed and, and scoffed him to scorn until he began preaching and they all fell into conviction and there was a miniature revival in Cambridge. Oxford lost out on it because of their arrogance and pride. Think about it. Here's a man that God mightily used of the Lord because he said, by God's grace, I'll be that man who's totally surrendered. Now, at the end of his life, he said before he died, the world still has never seen what could be done through one person totally surrendered to God. So the challenge is still today. Are you listening? It could be you. Could be one of these children, or one of these young people, one of these, one of these folks here. The world has never seen what could be done through one person. Does anybody know who this child belongs to? Yeah, okay, there we go. I think he got lost in the back there. I was wondering what was going on. The world hasn't seen it. It could be you. There's still more to be done. More heights to climb. Now listen to what, listen to what Paul said. We read this recently, um, not long ago. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter three, I remind you in verse number, verse, I won't read from verse number seven, but verse number 10, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, I'm chasing after it. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth under those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's more to be done. There's more territory to conquer. There's more souls to be saved. There's more victory in Christ. There's more to be climbed. Now, sometimes that's daunting and that's discouraging. But it could be encouraging. When you're standing at the bottom of a mountain, and you've only taken a few steps, and you realize it's going to be a long time before I get there, that can be discouraging. Sometimes we look at our life, and we you've only just begun. Some of you are new converts. Or maybe you've been saved for a number of years, but you still feel like you're at the bottom of the mountain. And that's discouraging. Because you know you're trying to get there, and you've been walking and trudging up the mountain for the last few years, and you don't seem to be getting very far. You ever felt that way? Oh, man, I, I'll, I'll share with you here in, in a moment. Well, I'll share it now. There are three steps of this mountain that I had to climb. There was first literally a series of steps that they built into the mountain. And that wasn't so bad. It was okay. Uh, it took about an hour or so. And then there was a middle section that was totally scree. You know what that word is? Loose stone on the side of a mountain. And uh, the way people were talking about it, I mean, I read one review, and that review, I wish I'd never read it. I read one review before I climbed the mountain, and it haunted me every step of the way. It's the most miserable mountain I've ever climbed in my life. It's terrible. This scree, I'm telling you. And sure enough, we got to this section of the mountain, and it was one step forward, and as you were taking one step forward, your, your foot that was left behind was sliding down. 
I'm telling you, it was, it was grueling. At one point I laid there and I, I cried and I called every name I could think of of the Lord. Jesus, Master, Savior, Almighty God, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Every name I could think of, please help me. Don't let me die on this mountain. And, and sometimes we feel that way in our Christian life. You ever felt that way? I'm trying to make one step. And as you're stepping forward, you seem to be sliding back. And you're, you're expending more energy than ever. It's not like you're not trying. You're giving more energy than ever, putting forth more energy than ever. But the more energy you put forth, the more you seem to be sliding back. Now that's frustrating, but that is a part of the journey. And there's more to be climbed. Now that's a real soul-searching time. Most people, if they're going to turn back, turn back there. In that segment of the journey. And so it is spiritually speaking. I've written a number of pages of lessons learned from Mount Taranaki. And one of the titles, the last lesson I was working on the plane was The Scree of Life. Boy, I'm telling you, there are some sections in life. There are some activities in life when you just feel like you're losing more than you're gaining. And uh, it's in those times when you've got to persevere. You must persevere. One of the defining elements of a Christian life is perseverance, endurance. That word again, agonizomai, agonizing, laboring, not just to get in, but laboring on the narrow way. To get up the mountain, we haven't arrived yet. That can be discouraging, but it also can be encouraging. It can be encouraging to think that the best is yet to come. We haven't arrived. And you might, we don't have to live life looking back at the glory days. Do you know that? You don't have to live life thinking the glory days are past. Instead, you can say, no, no, the best is still ahead. And I'm trudging a little bit now, but I'm going to get through it. And there's something better on the horizon. And the more I climb, the nearer I get to my Savior, the better things will be. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 24. I love this section, especially as a new Christian. I really, this really resonated with me. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24. Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Do you know what Paul says? Every Christian ought to run the Christian race, ought to climb the Christian mountain, ought to walk the narrow way like they're going to win. So who am I racing against you? No, no, no. Don't compare yourself with others. We'll come to that in a moment. But what it does mean is you, you, you give all you have. You give everything you have. Now I knew, I'll throw this little observation in. I knew that I was running out of time when we started. I knew that I had already... I knew I was climbing the mountain at the wrong time of the day. I was aware of that by the 463 people that told me on the way up. I knew I had started, they all started at 6.30 in the morning. They let me know, every one of them. We started at 6.30 in the morning with all our mountain gear. Thank you for that. Thank you. So I, so I knew I was starting at the wrong time. But I also knew I was not going to have another time and another chance to climb this mountain. Now you can do this. I had a choice. I could say, well, I'm just not going to do it then. Because it can't be done. I'm too late in life. Can't be done. Or I could have said, well, I could do it at another day, but in, in doing it another day, I'd have to cancel some other things and miss those opportunities. Or I could 
pull up my bootstraps, tighten my belt, tighten my laces, put my eyes on the summit and start climbing. And we have that choice as a Christian. You can either give up because it's too late in life, it's too hard, you can't do it, and everybody else says you can't do it, or you can understand, I don't have another opportunity like this. So I'm going to go for it. And Paul says, run that you might win. He goes on, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Anyone that wins anything in life, whether it be some Olympic sport, whether it be some university degree, whether it be some high achievement in their work and their craftsmanship, anybody that does it, they do it because they labor hard. They become temperate. They're, there's a lot of self-control. They become a master in what they do. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body. Bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Somebody was asking me, I preached from Luke chapter 13, that little passage we looked at New Year's Eve on um, one more year. You know, the fig tree bearing fruit and not bearing fruit for three years and then being cut down. And somebody said, what do you, what do you think it means to be cut down? Is God going to kill us? So maybe, but I think it means more like this. You become a castaway. And I don't know what's worse. Probably it's worse to be a castaway. It's worse to fail the Lord continuously refusing to climb the mountain he's put in front of you, refusing to do what he's called you to do. And so God just says, I'm finished with you. Sets you aside, puts you on a shelf to live out your days in misery and self-loathing. That's worse. I'd rather he go ahead and take me, wouldn't you? <laughs> Cast away. That's what we're on about. That's what Paul is on about. I, I'm not going to be a castaway, he says. I'm going to do things. I'm going to be careful about the way I walk on this mountain journey. I'm going to run so I can win. I'm going to get up that mountain, expend all the energy I can to get up there. I don't care what it costs me. Just so I can get to the top. Now here's another little observation. Although Jesus tells us, straight is the gate and narrow is the way and few there be that findeth it, there are a few. And you never walk alone. Now this is important. Galatians chapter 6, turn there with me for a second. Because Galatians, Paul seems to contradict himself. He's not. <clears throat> He's writing with perfect clarity. Galatians chapter 6. We find really two verses. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in the fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 4. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another, for every man shall bear his own burden. One verse he says, bear one another's burdens, and another verse he says, bear your own burdens. Here's what he's saying. All of us have to walk up the mountain. But we don't have to walk it alone. Interesting, I, I was climbing that mountain with, there was four of us. And after about the first hour and a half, we lost one fellow. 
We waved the white flag. They said, I can't go any further. Now, thankfully, in the Christian life, we don't have to leave anybody behind. Now, when we, when we left him behind, we started going, the three of us started making our way up the rest of the summit. It became very obvious that if I was going to make it to the top, I was going to have to leave these other two behind. So I bid them farewell, and I headed for the top. If you know anything, anything about me, you know it's, I have a hard time just hanging out. So there I went. And I'm glad I did because I was the only one to make it to the summit. But I made it to the summit, and on the way back down, we journeyed back down together. Now, in the Christian life, we don't leave anybody behind. You don't need to leave anybody behind. And there's a couple of really interesting observations. In the Christian life, we're commanded to actually help bear one another's burdens so that we don't have to leave anyone behind. And it is the law of Christ. Remember, I preached on that a number of weeks ago. It's the law of the cross. Jesus bore our burdens so that we could walk the narrow road, so that we could be saved. And we must bear one another's burdens so we can help get everybody up the mountain. We don't leave anybody behind. I was reading a segment of Pilgrim's Progress recently. And in this, let me, this will encourage you. In this was a, was a little discourse from a, a character named Feeble Mind. Poor Mr. Feeble Mind. Alas, I want a suitable companion. You are all so lusty and strong, but I, as you see, am weak. I choose, therefore, rather to come behind, lest by reason of my many infirmities I should be both a burden to myself and to you. I am, as I said, a man of a weak and feeble mind and shall be offended and made weak at that which others can bear. I shall like no laughing, I shall like no gay attire, nice clothing. I shall like no unprofitable questions. Nay, I'm so weak a man as to be offended with that which others have a liberty to do. I do not yet know all the truth. I'm a very ignorant Christian man. Sometimes if I hear some rejoice in the Lord, it troubles me because I cannot do so also. It is with me as it is with a weak man among the strong or as with a sick man among the healthy, or as a lamp despised so that I know not what to do. But brother, said Mr. Greatheart, but brother, I have it in commission to comfort the feeble-minded and to support the weak. You must needs go along with us. We will wait for you and we will lend you our help. We will deny ourselves of some things, both opinionated and practical, for your sake. We will not enter into doubtful disputations before you. We will be made all things to you, rather than that you should be left behind. Isn't that lovely? Taken out of the Pilgrim's Progress. Mr. Feeblemind. And there's a lot of folks from different varying degrees. Some people get offended about this, and some people get offended about that, and they don't like this, and... And we would, th- we would think in our minds, naturally, leave them behind because they're holding me back. But the commission is to comfort the feeble-minded, to help the weak, bring them along so that none of us have to climb this mountain alone. That's the joy of 
the Christian life is the Christian family. In the world, in the lost world, they really climb the mountain alone. And they're biting each other's heels. Whoever's in front of them, they're trying to bite their heels, slash their Achilles tendon, whatever they can do to get in front of them. If there's someone behind, they're stomping on their hands and their heads so that they don't pass them up. But we have a different perspective and a different commission. So you might be feeling like you can't do it. Look here. Tonight you might be feeling like you can't do it. You're right, you can't. But don't worry. Because we've got a team. There are some, there have been some mountain expeditions like Mount Everest and some others where they have tied every member of the party to one another by rope. So that if one falls, they're all together. Not one will be lost. Now that's an interesting thing for a moment. That means this. I was thinking about this. In fact, I wrote some notes about this. Uh, when traveling with companions, I was thinking there's really only two options when traveling with a, with a team. We can only move as fast as the slowest companion. Think about that. When traveling with a group, and by the way, much of the Christian life is traveling with a group, with brethren, there are only two options available. You either travel at a pace that everybody can maintain, maintain or you leave the slow ones behind like I did on the mountain. Those are your only two options. And spiritually speaking, the answer is very obvious. Now, practically, I could say, well, I would have never made it to the top if I waited on these slow pokes. Spiritually speaking, it's different. It's a very important lesson. Jesus Christ leaves no one behind. The truth is with Jesus, none of, without Jesus, none of us could get to the top. Without the Savior, there'd be no, no one reaching the summit. No one at all. Romans 15 verse 1, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Do you hear that? We then that are strong, if you are spiritually strong, we ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves because we never climb alone. One last observation and I'll quit. This is an important one. Do you know, let's, let me ask you a question. Do you know where the vast majority of alpine fatalities take place? What part of the journey do most deaths occur on a mountain hike? You know where it is? The easy path. Do you know that? Most deaths when climbing mountains happen on the easy path. Now, why is that? It's interesting. Even in my own limited experience, I'm no great mountain climber, but whatever little hills I've climbed, when you are climbing the most, the steepest places, or the, you're, you're passing through the narrowest, most narrowest cliff ledges, you are extra careful, aren't you? You're extra diligent and vigilant. You're putting your foot in just the right place. You're testing it before you put your full weight on it. And you're looking to make sure you've got a, a, a hand, a, a crack somewhere, a good stronghold. In the most dangerous and precarious places, you're exceptionally careful. But what happens when you get past the dangerous places? Whew. You relax. And it's usually when a Christian gets through the most difficult challenges of the Christian life and they relax, that's usually when the biggest fatalities take place. That's usually when people fall. 
We worry about our teenagers, and we should. We worry about our university students, and we should. It's a dangerous part of their life, and there's so many cliff faces, and there's many rock ledges, and the stones are very loose, and one bad step, and they could tumble to their spiritual death, and we worry about them. But then they get through it, and we get through it. We enter into middle-aged life. We're no longer struggling or worrying about some of those other little dangers. And out of nowhere, we get leveled because we've taken it easy. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm reminded of what Paul tells the Corinthian church in verse number 12. Verse 11, now all these things happened unto them for in samples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. I've had conversations recently with people who are in the middle age stage of their life. I don't know what constitutes middle age, but they're not really that young anymore, but they're not that old. They're somewhere in between. And these are the people right now that are struggling with some big temptations and sins. These are the people who've made some very foolish decisions. Why? Because they thought they were past it. They thought they were past it. Romans chapter 11 and verse number 20, Paul writes to the church at Rome and he says this, Verse 19, thou wilt say then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Speaking of the Jews were broken off so the Gentiles could be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off and thou standest by faith. But be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spare not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Be not high-minded. Be careful. It's on the easy paths. That's when the fatalities really take place. And you might say, well, it's hard. Yes, it's hard. We're told to take up the cross. It is dangerous. It's challenging. But there are moments when the Lord gives us peace. And there are moments when it's not as challenging as it once was. And in those moments, you need to be very careful. That's why Paul says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Be careful. You thought you got through the hard bits and you were taking it easy, coasting it on through, relaxing, taking it nice and easy. Another interesting thought, coming down the mountain, going up is one thing, coming down can sometimes be more dangerous than going up. And we think that's the easy bit. Skipping along down there, letting, letting gravity take its take its run. If you're not too careful, gravity really take its run. Be careful. If any man th thinketh that he standeth, take heed lest he fall. I'll probably share some more thoughts uh, about these things later on, but we'll stop there because of time. But let me just encourage you. Let me challenge you. We're on a journey and it's a narrow way. There, the best is yet to come. We're not there yet. There should be more holiness, more to be chiseled out, more to be changed, but also more to be conquered. More mountain peaks and summits to conquer for the glory of God. So don't you, don't you relax. You're not alone. Let me encourage you. You're not alone. If tonight you feel weak and feeble, you are not alone. If you feel strong, 
You also are not alone. We have a duty and responsibility to help bring people along. It's amazing how God made nature. Did you notice that? Dogs form themselves, wolves form themselves in packs and, and uh, sheep in herds and cow, cows in herds and, and uh, all sorts of other terminology for the way that animals group themselves together. Interesting. God made it that way. And so it is in the Christian life. We have the church, the family of God. We move together. We move together. And lastly, be careful. Take heed lest you fall. Let's pray together, then we'll sing one, one final hymn this evening. Father, we give thanks that we've had this opportunity to reflect, look at thy word, and we ask thee, Lord, to help us. We are on this journey that is challenging, Lord, the narrow way. Help us, Lord, to stick close to our guide's side, our dear Savior's side. We pray, Father, that we might have big vision. We might, by faith, trust thee for more and believe that the best is yet to come. That the best sermon is yet to be preached. And the greatest outpouring of the Spirit is yet to be seen. Help us to believe it, Lord. More summits, more heights to climb. Remind us, Lord, that there are many who need us. Or remind us when we're feeling discouraged because we are needy. Remind us, Father, that we don't travel alone. That was given us a body, a family to help one another, to bear one another's burdens. And Father, we pray that we might take heed lest we fall. We be careful where we place our feet and how we order our steps. Oh Lord, guide us in all of this, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.